We are not looking for a short-term fix so that we can get to the seventh seed instead of the tenth, unless it helps long-term. Danny Ainge speaks next on Locked On Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is the February 7th edition of Locked On Jazz. Danny Ainge clearly states the Jazz trade deadline goals. Who could be those young players that could help long term? What else is going on with the trade deadline rumors and where are Jazz players being mentioned? Last night's Jazz game, not a good one. Outside noise and frankly, a little bit of a development cost. Plus late game watch. All coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps and on YouTube. You are a part of the Locked On Jazz community, part of the Locked On Jazz group. Make sure you interact, have fun with everyone, subscribe, hit the bell button on YouTube so that you get immediately notified of what's going on. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Danny Ainge, in a Tim McMahon article on ESPN, we are not looking for a short-term fix so that we can get to the seventh seed instead of the tenth unless it helps long-term. Ainge talk about this team as though it's great fun, it's enjoyable, everyone's bought into it, it's been fabulous, but it is not a team in which he says it has changed their plan at all. You know, Justin Zanuck in the article talks about, uh, you know, they're just getting a ton of calls um, and... That everyone wants to know about their players, and so it's their job to walk to pay attention. But as Danny Ainge says, it doesn't influence my process. I mean, we're enjoying the team. The fans love our team, said Ainge. They bought into our team. We're enjoying that part of it. But we're not looking to break it up or necessarily go win a championship this year either. We're trying to do things that will help us long term. We're not looking for a short term fix so that we can get to the seventh seed instead of the tenth seed unless it helps us long-term. I think that matches what we knew. I think that matches what we've suspected, but it's now clear as day of what the Jazz are looking at at the trade deadline here is they are trying to either find an opportunity where a young player is going to become available that that matches the timeline of Lowry Marketing, Walker Kessler, Ochai Abaji, Or they're going to get assets that will allow them in a future date to go get a player that matches those players. I think that's that's the reality here. That for those of you who are fired up, loving the the 500 record wins, and wanting this team to, you know, try to push for that sixth spot that's only two games away, I don't think that's happening. I also don't think... Because Danny Ainge has actually never done this at any point in his entire career. That you're about to see the Jazz dump 
players to manufacture the outcome the other way. And, the, and, and that feels, honestly, like I think if I was in their chairs, that would be hard not to do right now. You're 27 and 28. You can get to 13 in the West pretty quickly right now. You can get to probably the sixth draft slot pretty easily with two or three moves. And frankly, if you look at the data on draft history, going from 11 to 6 is an improvement of an asset. Like at this point of the season, if you were to make a move and dump some players and not bring back a lot of assets, but your draft pick goes from 11 to slot, goes from 11 to 6, if you look at any draft history, it's pretty linear. Like it is like, I know it doesn't always work that way. And there's exceptions to every rule, but it's pretty clear. Like your best players get drafted earliest. And so that in a sense would be trading for an asset. Now, I don't think we're doing that. I don't get any indication from any of the conversations I've had with anyone in the Utah jazz that there's any feeling of trying to manufacture an outcome of games in the final what have we played 55 games so at 20 whatever games that is 27 left games i don't think they're trying to pull a portland where portland went 22 and 2 2 and 22 to close the season last year i don't see that happening unless they're getting value in those deals i don't think they see the value i just talked about or they see the value i don't think they're willing that that that's a step further than anything Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck seem to be willing to do. Um, Who are those young players, though? Who are those players that would possibly be on on the Jazz timeline? So the most obvious names we've heard are, there's two names that have been bantied about. Atlanta's John Collins, who would match that timeline. He doesn't have, he's probably underperforming his current contract, depending what happens with the new TV contract. And when the caps continue and how the cap continues to jump, but he is a 25 year old, um, born in Layton, Utah, his parents were part of the military who, you know, with five or six years experience kind of matches Lowry, um, at that point in his, in the timeline and matches probably where Walker's and Ochai's actually a little, like he fits, he fits nicely. Um, another name that was mentioned is Nazir Little in Portland. He's 22, he's 6'5", 220, he's kind of a, a tweener. He's the player that five years ago, six, seven years ago in the NBA, you would think to yourself like, oh, I don't think he really has a position and he can't probably play in the league. And now at 6'5", 220, he, like Ochai Abaji, you just look at him, you're like, okay, well, you can't have enough of those. You'd prefer they were 6'7", or 6'8". Um, but Nazir Little's a really good athlete. And he has improved his three-point shooting a good deal this year. He, the Remember, I think if you've been a part of the show, the rule is that you, you take the first 753s of someone's career and that kind of tells you where they are. Well, he's at 372, so we don't know yet, but he's only at 34%. This year, he's reduced his the amount he's taking and he's making, um, actually, he's right about the same per minute. Um, and he's making a lot more. He's making many more shots this year. He's been in and out of the injury with injuries. He might be developing, like, that's just, he's, that's like worth taking a shot. John Collins is far more established. And then the wild card here is Toronto. Like, and, and it really depends. Do you think that OG Ananobi, 25 years old, in his sixth season, 6'7", 232, 
Credible athlete, not a lot of wiggle offensively, really good defensive players, puts you on, immediately makes you an elite off uh, athletic team. Uh, do you believe that he's a guy that's that important a piece that you're willing to give things up? And Or do you believe if the, if the Raptors are really willing to do it, this is completely unclear, that Pascal Siakam, at just about to be 29 years old, 28 and then turning 29 here in April, that at 25 points a game and an all-NBA player that he's two-time All-NBA player, that he's really, like, bona fide to you. Like, that that's that he's a game-changer. That you add Pascal Siakam, you've suddenly accelerated your timeline um, and changed who you are, and that that's the kind of player you have to go get. Do you believe that? Th- those are some of the names that I think you 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 kind of look at. The, the other ones that get interesting are, are the Warriors willing to move any of their young kids, and, and are you willing to take a shot at them um, to try to help them along? There's New Orleans have any, um, they have a bunch of draft picks. They have this Dyson Daniels kid, and maybe maybe there's somebody else on New Orleans, um, though they're pretty veteran at that point, um, on the Pels who, you know, they need an extra piece. Are you able to find something there and you have their draft picks, and so you're willing, you can find that kind of player. I don't think Devontae Graham at just six foot one matches that. I think Devontae Graham would be much more of a, um, that you're taking a salary back. I, I think, you know, and Kira Lewis Jr. coming off the ACL at six foot one. Um, we do need a point guard here pretty soon. And if you believe in him out of the draft in the past, maybe it's worth it. Um, you know, I don't know. So th- those are the only two small. We can kind of run through every. I don't want to run through every roster. Frankly, most rosters don't have the type of player we're talking about. But I do think that that's what Ainge has told us the Jazz are now looking at. And I don't think you should expect, you know, the. And I think if we look at last night's game, we're seeing outside noise impact them. We're also seeing. That's a 500 team. Like they, these are these last two performances have not been very good. They 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 were off last night, and we'll talk about that in a second. But there's also beginning to be a developmental cost to this team right now that is maybe the reason they're not playing quite as well as they were. That in order to get Walker Kessler the minutes we want him to get, and in order to get Ochai Abaji the minutes you want him to get, there's a cost, and it's beginning to show. I'll explain um, as we continue on this. Tuesday edition of Locked on Jazz. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Murdoch Hyundai. I'm driving the Santa Cruz. It's super fun. It's a pickup truck with uh, four doors and a cab in the back. So it's kind of that utility between the two, um, the pickup truck and the car. Uh, and it's a sport utility vehicle, I think is the official name of it. But super fun. Um, a new one in the Murdoch Hyundai lineup of cars. I had not tried it before, uh, and I'm having fun with it right now. So go check it out. It's over there. The others, you know well, the Santa Fe uh, is, we own two of them. There's the Palisade, which is the big SUV. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, The Kona is the little one. They've got some great deals also with their hybrids or their EVs in which they, um, it's just a small amount of electric, except for the fact that, frankly, most people don't drive very far every day. And so it keeps you on electric for your small commutes every day. And if you're going longer, you have gas. It's a pretty neat combination. They also have the Ionic, which is the Hyundai electric car, which was the Motor Trend car of the year, um, which we have actually purchased um, and like a great deal. So would strongly suggest. So you can check it all out at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also in Logan and in Linden. If you're going to stop by, please... Give me a drop at dlock09 at gmail.com so that I can give you a little bit of a VIP treatment with Cameron and Jake and any of our guys. Today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. You know Built well with all the, the incredible macros, getting healthy, 
uh, the amazing taste, low in calories, high in protein, the Built Bar. There's really nothing quite like it. It is now available for you at Sam's Club. If you'd like to, you can grab a 13-box bar with their favorite flavors, brownie, batter, churro. Uh, or at Walmart, there's a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, and coconut puffs. You can also still go to Built.com. Uh, the latest are their double chocolate and their brownie batter puff. Brownie batter puff's pretty great. Um, they also have a new link so that you can check out their limited release flavors. Caramel apple is out and new for you. Uh, if you haven't jumped on that, raspberry cheesecake. And they've got some cheaper ones on Factory Seconds on the coconut marshmallow puffs. Love those puffs. Mixed box of puffs available. It's all at Built.com. Promo code's locked on or go to Sam's Club or head over to Walmart as well. It's all Built.com. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. For your second listen, Locked On Sports Today. 22-minute recap of all things in the sports world. Getting you ready for the Super Bowl this weekend and all that's going on uh, with that with Peter Bukowski. Go check it out. All right. So we weren't good last night. Um, We don't need to lament it. Ron and I talked about it pretty clearly last night. Um, I have to assume the outside noise, the player said it. Um, Will Hardy said that he was disappointed in the focus We haven't heard that a great deal before. It was pretty out of character. Um, The most noticeable was JC, and there's a period in the second quarter where he just plays, you know, he just tries to carry the team in like a strange fashion, and it seemed to have a little bit of a lingering impact, um, just that the ball wasn't moving. It's funny, Alex Jensen pregame, I asked him like offensively, what's the key? He said, we just got to make sure we stay inside of ourselves and we move the ball, because the instinct when you play a game like this is that it's your night to go get 30 your night to go get 40 and you forget to play the team game and then you get out of kilter and then you can never get back. I mean, like he literally predicted it, said it perfectly. I thought the threes we took were bad um, and they they were just tough looks. Um, and we talked about that with Ron. So Postcast has a lot of that. Uh, I'll put a link up at the end of the show for you. I do, um, you know, hey, 20... Seven transition points, 24 second chance points. When you're playing a team that's limited, what you want to do is keep them in the half court and not give them easy baskets. Um, You know, from a trade deadline standpoint, I said this yesterday, it came off wrong, I thought. Like, we're a 500 team, which is incredible and great. And this team deserves all of the accolades it's getting. And the fact that last night stands out so much is a compliment to everything they've done all year. I also think, like, if any, if you were kind of, if the front office was I don't think they ever wavered but let's pretend for a moment that the front office wavered and thought to themselves like let's see whether or not you know maybe with Mike Conley comes back and he gets right whether we really have a chance to make a home court playoff push or something of the sort if in fact they had wavered which again I, I don't think they ever did. this recent stretch would kind of say to you like oh okay like yeah we're We are what we are. It's way better than anyone thought. It's wildly entertaining. It's incredibly awesome. It's a massive success, right? Will Hardy can coach. Lowry Markkinen's an all-star. Walker Kessler can play. And Ochai Abaji showing every side he can play. Like, it's a wild... Colin Sexton's getting better. Taylor Horton, (coughs) Tucker, Nikhil Alexander-Walker are showing signs. Like, everything... It's beautiful. (coughs) But if you were taking the next step at any point in time where you were saying to yourself, like... Hey, we beat the Pelicans back to back in December. And are we really ready to go? Like, I think, frankly, the recent stretch of like from 19 and 16 to 27 and 28 kind of tells you what you need to know, right? It kind of tells you like, okay, like our wins just, you know, we haven't, we've, 
we beat shorthanded teams and we beat, you kind of look, they're getting less sexy. Um, and some of our losses are getting worse and we're just kind of finding our, our ground. We're evening out and that's fine. It's way better than anyone thought. And the season's a massive success, but it's not such a success that you go change your plan. I think is been the re- the recent games, I think would solidify that if I was Justin Zanuck and Danny Ainge, and I think to everyone else, um, involved. Here's some interesting things that are going on right now. So the first is, I think there's we're getting a little bit of a cost of development right now. So Lowry, Mark, and Kelly Olenek and Walker Kessler are playing together. It, it's interesting. It's three seven-footers. As Ron Boone has been pointing out the entire time, it's super slow. And that happened. That got us last night. And that's beginning to show up. That group is now allowing transition 21% of the time. <clears throat> when Markin and Olenek and Kessler are on the floor... The Jazz are allowing the opponent to be in transition 21% of the time. That is in the zero percentile of all five of all three man groups. What do I mean by that? That means that it's only 316 possessions they've played together. Their defense in the half court is actually really good, as you would suspect. But their defense in the half court is in the 97th percentile. However, they're only keeping people in the half court 71% of the time, which is <coughs> the lowest number of any three-man group that's out there. In, it's in the zero percentile. So that group of Markin and Olenek and Kessler, exactly as Ron Boone has pointed out, like you should listen to Ron Boone, he's really smart. He ha- happens to 50-some-odd years in the game, happen to know exactly what he's talking about every single night. Um, they're allowing the most transition of any team in the league. If they turn the ball over, teams are averaging 1.76 points per possession. The crazy thing is their rebounding is not particularly great in this context. Like with the team with their off with Markinen, Alinek, and Kessler on the floor, this is strange. The Jazz offensive rebounding is in the zero percentile. Defensive rebounding is in the zero percentile. They have they're averaging opponents are getting thirty five percent of all offensive rebounds when Kessler, Alinek, and Markinen are on the floor together. Now, it's kind of strange. They're plus 6.6, so you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But it's not an ideal lineup. And it's an ideal lineup for us right now because Walker Kessler needs to start. Okay? And that's why it's an ideal lineup. But otherwise, it's not... And I'm not saying you would... And Lowry Marketing needs to start. So you're just... And Kelly Olenek's at a point in his career in what he's done for this team where you're really probably not taking him out of the starting lineup. Um Maybe you will after the trade deadline or some other point along the way, but then you're probably playing Kelly Olenek and Rudy Gay together, and then that's kind of a disaster. So this is where we're just an imperfect group that probably wasn't put together to be a perfect puzzle piece in this season. And the impact of Walker Kessler starting is that these three now play together more, and it's this, while it is plus 6.6, again, let's not ignore it. It's great offensively. It's done a bunch of really good things. It's good on the offensive glass. It's really, really bad on the defensive glass, and it's really, really bad in transition. And that's just, I'm going to call it developmental cost. In order to play Walker, we have this. There's another one of these going on too, and that is in order to play Ochai, we are suddenly now playing Colin Sexton with the ball in his hands as the primary ball handler much more than we used to. So Will Hardy, one of the best things I feel like he's done all season long is that Will Hardy's played with... Colin Sexton and figured out his superpower. This I'm using Will's terms. Will Will refers to it as this what what's your player's superpower? Let's let's focus on that. 
So the superpower for Colin Sexton is that first step. There's just very few players in the NBA that have a first step as dynamic as Colin Sexton. There's very few players in the NBA who can get to the rim the way Colin Sexton can. And there's very few players that can take contact, finish, and draw fouls the way Colin Sexton can. He is... He is elite in all three of those categories. So driving to the basket, beating his man, playing off the ball, frankly, getting the ball with an advantage and taking advantage of it is, to me, what his superpower is. His, you know, He's improved a great deal. In his first two years in Cleveland, he was the lowest assist to usage rate of any player in the NBA. He's improved at that. He's done a better job. His turnovers are way down. So he's done a bunch of things better. But he is in the... 100th percentile, the top rate level of all guards who are fouled on their shot attempts. 17% of his shot attempts, he's fouled. Number one in all of the NBA, okay? his pers- He's he's elite. Um, and he is best when off the ball. And so the ball comes and you swing it to him and he goes and gets the ball. The problem is that if you're going to play Ochai Abaji, you are no longer playing Taylor Horton Tucker and Nikhil Alexander Walker, and you want to play Ochai Abaji, but it means that Colin Sexton is now getting the ball and bringing it up the court and having to make decisions and not using his superpower. And this is becoming evident. When Ochai Abaji and Colin Sexton are on the floor together, and Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander Walker, Taylor Horton Tucker's off the floor, it's only been 155 possessions, it's limited, but we're minus 15. And our offense is in the first percentile at a 101. Okay? The defense is not great either. I mean, we're minus 15. You really can't be good. A lot of that's with Jared Vanderbilt at center instead of Walker Kessler. I don't know if it really matters. It's just not using Colin Sexton's superpower. Colin Sexton's superpower is that when Mike Conley and Colin Sexton are on the floor together, our offense is in the 99th percentile. Like the variance here we're talking about. We're literally going from Colin Sexton with Ochai Abaji, no Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Taylor Horton-Tucker in the first percentile with a 101 offensive rating. We put Colin Sexton and Mike Conley on the floor together, and we're now in the 99th percentile with a 125 offensive rating. The problem there, by the way, if you're wondering, is they can't defend because they're both 6'1". We're in the 5th percentile defensively in that setup. Now, do you suddenly... Can Walker Kessler cover for that event? You know, that type of lineup eventually will be the question. Right now, when Walker Kessler's on the floor with that group, they go from the fifth percentile defensively to the 21st. But we're seeing a developmental cost is really what I'm telling you. That to start Walker Kessler, which means you're playing him with Kelly Olenek and Lowry Markin, there's a downside. They, they don't get back. They're too slow to get back in transition. For whatever, they're too slow to the ball, evidently, on the rebounds. Seems weird with that kind of length. And, and it's problematic. And to play Ochai Abaji, which we should be doing. Again, there's not a complaint that any of these things are happening. It's just simply the impact. To play Ochai Abaji right now means that Colin Sexton gets back on the ball. And when Colin Sexton's on the ball with Ochai Abaji, without Conley, Alexander Walker, Taylor Horton Tucker, it gets a little tough. Our offense moves to the first percentile. So, you know, I think that's... If you look at Colin Sexton with Mike Conley off the floor... It's not as bad. It's even, We're even for the year. But it usually then is that there's another ball handler of some sort on the floor with him. Not always, but to some extent. Um, Jordan Clarkson, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Taylor Horton-Tucker. And Ochai just is not a ball handler yet at this point in his career. 
So we're seeing that opportunity cost. All right, I did a bunch of late game watches, a bunch. There's no way we're getting through all of them. I literally have like four pages of notes from late game watches I spent. You might have been rocking on Saturday night. My family was out of town. I was watching old NBA games. What a loser. But that's what I do. Today's show is brought to you in part in our friends uh, over at Prize Picks. Daily fantasy made fun for you at Prize Picks. Uh, make sure that you get involved because a hundred deposit dollar deposit match up to a hundred dollars back with the promo code locked on. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy and made fun. So you pick two to six players. Are they going to score more or less than the Prize Picks projection? You could win up to twenty five percent of your money on any entry. Prize Picks, you name the sport. Disc golf, cricket, soccer, MLB, not right now, NHL, NBA, you got it. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy, safe and fast withdrawals, currently operational in 30 states and Canada. Download the Price Picks app, go to pricepicks.com, sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users receive a 100% deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked up. If you deposit $100, Price Pick get, will give you $100. If you deposit 50, 50, 72, 50, 72, 50. If you deposit 150, you just get 100. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. That's our friends at Prize Picks. If you're an NBA draft junkie and you're trying to learn a little bit more about the NBA draft, Locked On NBA Big Board is here for you. Rafael Barlow is a rising star in the draft world. Leaf Tulin, Richard Stamen, and Sam Ferris all join Rafael with their daily draft coverage. It's kind of great. All right, late game watches. I probably should have organized this a little bit better. So I want to start with the Clippers because I talked about them yesterday. All their numbers are great. I watched the Clippers play the Knicks. The Clippers were up 10 with 7-10 left. 12 with 7-15 left. They're closing that night with Man, Powell, PG, Kawhi, and Zubak. And then they bring in Morris for Zubak at one point. The Clippers, my notes are the Clippers have no ball movement. And they have no belief um, that they'll ever get it back. That was the thing that jumped out to me more than anything else. On the Knicks, I was super impressed by Julius Randle's passing. I've always been a Julius Randle, beautiful numbers. He just leaves me yearning for more guy. Julius Randle's passing is was so good in a bunch of these games um, that I watched right now. Uh, I'm mystified on a nightly basis watching close games on how teams challenge. Um, Tom Thibodeau had the weirdest challenge. I write down Clippers. Isolation every play. Um... They win this game because Batum hits a miracle three at the buzzer. They come down. They're down three. PG goes ISO three, misses the rebound, gets kicked out and bounced around. Batum hits a a buzzer-beating three, and then they win it in overtime. The Knicks went on a 16-4 run down the clutch on the Clippers, a 32-16 in the fourth. They were, As I said, they were up 12-17. to 17. This is a game where if I was the Clippers front office watching this, I would be like, we got to go get something done by the deadline. That we're just not moving the ball at all. We have no ball movers. We're static. Even when guys are, when Kawhi doesn't have it, it's as though they're looking to Kawhi for every single play. Um, Clippers against the Milwaukee Bucks. So I watched two of the Clippers games. Um, first of all, from a Milwaukee standpoint, they, they have a go-to play. They're coming along, by the way. They look great. Like Milwaukee's clicked in. They should be your first team you mentioned as a title contender probably at this point. I might... Put them as my favorite. The Warriors were my Western Conference favorite. Now I have no idea. 
Um, Boston has been the favorite all year long. I haven't watched a lot of them because they haven't played a lot of close games. The Bucks, though, I might tell you I think they're there. I mean, they're still putting their pieces together. Middleton wasn't closing this game. It was Drew Holiday, Pat Connaughton, Joe Ingles, Giannis, and Lopez. And then they actually brought in somebody in for Lopez at one point, and so that they actually went smaller and played Giannis the five for a little while, and then Giannis killed Zubak. So Milwaukee's showing in late games multiple versatility. They can play Lopez. They can play Giannis at five. They can play a bunch of shooters. They play. They have multiple defenders. Um, I, I really, they look really close to me. Um, they're just kind of working their way through the season, and it's coming together. Uh, the play that there is just unstoppable is Drew Holiday on a pick and roll with Giannis with Brooke Lopez sitting in the corner. You've pulled the big out. Drew Holiday's driving. He's usually driving on Lopez's side, so you don't want to leave strong side corner. So now the big hugs to Lopez. Drew goes to the basket. If you don't bring help on that, then you lob to Giannis. Giannis, if you don't bring help to that, the corner side's open. It's Connaughton, Connaughton or Ingles or someone for a corner three. They are using Joe in a lot of pick and roll with Giannis. It's clear Giannis is, is comfortable. Um, they put Drew on Kawhi, and they write the same night. ISO every play. Um, um, PG airball with Drew guarding him. Um, Kawhi airball with 27 seconds left with Drew guarding him. Drew Holiday should be an all-star. So really the first thing on just the late game takeaway is the Clippers are winning games. Their statistics look great. If I'm their front office watching their close games recently, they they need they need some ball movers. They're, they're short. That's not a tight... What I've watched recently is not a title contending team to me. That that that's it's actually almost a bit disturbing. Um, I mentioned the Knicks in the Clipper game. Uh, then I also watched them against the Heat, which was a wild finish. There was no brunts in this game. Miami runs some great stuff. Um, Bam out of Bayou had a monster game here. I think Miami is looking closer and closer the less they're playing Lowry. They were finishing with Hero, Vincent Butler, Max Struess, and Bam. They're probably short a piece in there with Vincent and Struess closing. Um, but now their offense is a lot of Tyler Hero coming off three-man game with Bam and Butler off a double stagger. Butler's the first pick. He pops. you got to go with him. Now Hero's coming off Bam. Bam's either rolling or mid-rolling. Flip back to Butler for an ISO. Tyler Hero going to the rack. Tyler Hero making a ton of plays. That looks really good. Miami, if we if you recall, we've talked about it earlier this year. Like Lowry didn't look good in the pick and roll. They were ISOing Bam on the elbow and getting nothing out of it. They were really struggling to find Plays last night. Bam was amazing. Um, they had a really cool play, which was a pin down for Bam. It's the same one we want run for Lowry. They were running Butler down, who pins for Bam on the baseline. He comes off um, the bottom, of, but but they're setting it instead of setting it in the corner where we set it for Lowry. We set it all the way out for Lowry. So if he comes out and they go under, you hit Lowry for the three. With Bam, they're setting it at the edge of the free throw line. I thought this was super interesting. Because if you're a basketball junkie, okay, me, like this is a little how, how coaches really make an impact. Like Will's right. You're going to run the pin down with Lowry and you're going to go with your small point guard or somebody to get a switch on a seven-foot Lowry. So he's either coming around that tight curl you've seen or he's popping out for three. You're going to set it out wide. Well, with Bam, who you don't want shooting a catch-and-shoot three, they're setting it at the on the free throw line. Okay, I thought that was just a little neat little thing about how good these coaches are. Um, and the Knicks don't like to switch. On this, So now you're running it super tight in the basket and Bam was killing him. Uh, I thought that was super. I, I write it again. Super unse- unselfish play from Randall. Um, hits uh, Grimes for a three. I, I was I was really impressed um, 
with that. Miami kept getting six foot four Vincent on RJ Barrett, and then finally they put Butler on him and took him out of the game. Uh, Jimmy Butler really can just eliminate someone. Uh, Tyler Hero's balance on his stop and pop is elite. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Um, and then RJ Barrett started throwing the ball away all over the place late in the game in just kind of a crazy, maniacal way. Um, that was really weird, frankly. Um, but it was uh, two massive turnovers late. Um, one other one, let's see. Kings without De'Aaron Fox against Indiana. Um, not a lot of notes. Well, I have a lot of notes on it, but not a lot that I think you really care about. Uh, I thought Buddy Heald looked really different for Indiana. He was attacking, he was passing, he was making plays. Um, Nebhard, the rookie for Indiana, seems pretty fearless. I was kind of impressed with that. Uh, Miles Turner's defense is real. That's why Indiana wins. Um, so a lot of stuff there. Um, and then weird stuff. 17 seconds left. Uh, down three with two timeouts left. And in, in Sacramento forced a three. You should be shooting a two there. Use one of your timeouts and play it the other way. So Mike Brown, super weird late. Like late game coaching and late game execution is really hard in this league. People make mistakes all the time. It's super easy for me to hit pause and then send out four text messages to people saying like, wait a sec, if you're down 17, if you've got 17 seconds left and you're down three, what are you supposed to do? Um, want to mention, um, actually Hornets Detroit was super interesting, but um, um, Charlotte made a bunch of mistakes late because they're young and bad. I, I just think Willie Green in New Orleans, I got a bunch of Laker notes uh, as well I probably should do, but I think Willie Green just runs great stuff. Um, they had a play where Ingram, the Pelicans-Lakers game I watched, um... I actually, my takeaway on the Lakers, by the way, is they're super close. Watching the Lakers in these games, LeBron's so great. He just conducts everything. They're super close. They make a deal. There's a rumor out there Tim McMahon had of Conley and Beasley, the Lakers, for Westbrook and picks. Like, like they're close. They go add two or three rotation players here with off Westbrook, and I think the Lakers are a bona fide championship team. They they look super close to me. Um, but, boy, I love the stuff Willie Green love, runs. I, it's just great. Um a lot of it's out of dual horns where people are at each elbow of the free throw line. They had uh, their rookie, Trey Murphy, who's kind of a pop three-point shooter, Brandon Ingram. CJ had the ball up top. Murphy comes left to right on the across the free throw line to set a pick for Ingram. And then Ingram, Ingram starts, but then circles back and sets another pick on Murphy. And then Murphy goes up to set a pick on CJ. So if you're Murphy's man, you've switched on to Ingram, then you've gotten picked again, switch back to Murphy, then you've got to go back up and switch again on CJ if you're switching one through five. Um, and Beverly doesn't want to leave Ingram in this circumstance. This is where it works really well because the Lakers don't want Patrick Beverly getting off Ingram. And so they're coming up and there's confusion and CJ just denies the pick, blows by them to the left, goes away from the pick um, for an easy jumper. It was really impressive. Um, then they run one where Ingram had the ball at the top. He gets the ball from CJ, and CJ Nance is the free throw line, and CJ's up high. Nance, CJ runs off the backside of Nance. So you make them for a second. Am I switching? Am I not switching? Um, and then right after that, Nance goes up and sets a pick for Ingram. So CJ runs off the backside of Nance. Those two defenders are deciding, are we switching? Are we not? If they do switch, Nance now beats his man up for the pick on Ingram. And then if they're deciding if they're switching or not, they're totally confused because you're trailing everything. Um, and as the pick is being set, Murphy comes out to the, to the far corner and sets the pick for Ingram, as I mentioned. And then the next time they run the exact same play and Murphy flared up top for a three and got an open look. I I think New Orleans runs great stuff. Uh, I'll talk more about the Lakers and some of their stuff tomorrow if it's relevant, but 
Um, that's it. That is Locked on Jazz today. A lot of late game watching. Hope you enjoy those. Kind of fun to see what the league is doing. Uh, we'll see. It's getting tight. Some You feel like things have to happen here in the league pretty fast. It feels like, feels like a balloon's about to burst. Thanks for tuning in to Locked on Jazz, the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.